You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ishtar, a bearded goddess of sex and war from ancient Mesopotamia. She was hot-tempered with a lust for conquest, and her priestesses were transgender. Oya, Yoruba goddess of the wind, storms, lightning, tornadoes, thunder, commerce, and war. She rules the destruction that comes before positive change. Atalanta, fleet-footed huntress and heroine of ancient Greece who joined the Argonauts. She helped slay the Caledonian boar, and refused to marry any man who couldn't beat her in a foot race. She also became a PDA lion. Eats Papa Lotl, a skeletal warrior goddess of the Aztec pantheon, sometimes depicted with butterfly wings lined with obsidian knives. This episode is part of our Women of Myth series, where we interview podcasters, authors, scholars, and more about the amazing women of world mythology. It's based on our book of the same name, Women of Myth, Illustrated by the amazing Sarah Richard, it's available wherever books are sold or go to ancienthistoryfangirl.com to find links to a bookstore near you. And that is what I go for in my videos. Cringe cheap. I'm Jenny Williamson. And I'm Jen McMenemy, and this is Ancient History Fangirl. So we are so excited to welcome B. Fitzgerald, author of the upcoming YA novel Girl, Goddess, Queen, a retelling of the story of Hades and Persephone. She also runs the incredible Chaos on Olympus TikTok, where she performs scenes from Greek mythology. B's TikTok brings the Greek myths to life in a bite-sized format that starts conversation and brings classical reception to life on social media. So welcome, B. We're such big fans and so excited to have you on the podcast as part of our Women of Myth series. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What drew you to Greek mythology and made you decide to launch Chaos on Olympus on TikTok? Um, I've always loved Greek mythology. I've always loved world mythology, but I think um, my background's in literature. um, So I think just having this plethora of ancient sources with so many translations online, and then also seeing the influences of those sources in all the things I was studying in uni and in school, you know, like Shakespeare is littered with Greek myth and stuff like that. I saw this continuation of the stories that I grew up with through history and I'm kind of low-key obsessed with the fact that people have always been people and the way that stories endure and we keep 
finding new interpretations of them or new meanings in them and just get to help share those stories that I love in a really bite-sized fun and chaotic way uh, was just a really nice little outlet for this passion that I had. What is it like retelling myths in short sound bites? speaking of and what's been the biggest lesson you've learned so far? Well I think a lot of my little skits that I do on TikTok they really vary in terms of the accuracy. Like I'm not trying to make educational content, although I do make videos where I like drive people back to the ancient resources. I just, I love helping people get really engaged and excited about Greek mythology because I'm such a fan in so many different guises. Um, so sometimes when my content isn't like, this is the exact story that happened, I'm kind of taking the vibe or like an interpretation of the character and running with it. And I think sometimes that can lead to like really fun and weird things like I think one of my favorite videos was back when like the Loki TV show was a thing and the TVA was everywhere and I had one of like Zeus deciding not to sleep with a woman and then the TVA coming for him and it was just like okay that definitely didn't happen in Greek mythology but it could have and I think that kind of could have aspect is what I have the most fun with on the TikTok channel and I guess my biggest learning curve is that no matter how hard you try the lip sync sometimes just won't work (laughs) Um, it will be perfect and then you will post it and it will go out of sync and you just have to let it go and as a perfectionist I really struggle with that oh my gosh (laughs) I hear you so much just as a perfectionist (laughs) I also think it made me feel uh become very comfortable with my own faith in a really strange way I'm like oh I'm just spending so long looking at myself as I'm editing these videos and it's looking at myself pull some of the weirdest facial expressions I've ever seen um being like I didn't know I could do that So that's been fun. I kind of feel the same way about our voices. Like I figured out that I sound real shrieky when I get excited. That is not a thing I knew about myself before I started the podcast. Also, my accent's incomprehensible. Like I have no idea. Sometimes I sound completely American. Sometimes I have a mid-Atlantic accent. It's weird. The British comes out when you're like angry. We're talking about dogs. (laughs) Dogs. (laughs) Dogs. What has been the trickiest myth or scene to retell on TikTok and which myths have worked best? I think like one of the things that's hardest is that there are a lot of dark topics in mythology and I don't want to make light of them, but I also kind of want to draw attention to the fact that so many of our myths are riddled with these horrible things that happen to women. So I kind of tend to make content that runs parallel to that. Like I might make a video of Cassandra and Clytemnestra teaming up to murder Agamemnon. I think a lot of my like videos and a lot of my content and my writing is almost wish fulfillment mythology or kind of looking at them from a modern lens with the understanding of their context in an ancient lens and just kind of saying how I wish it went um, and having fun with that idea. And I think sometimes by saying, God, I wish this is how the myth went, you kind of shine a light on the fact that that's not how the myth went without getting really dark and heavy. And I do have those more serious conversations on my TikTok channel, uh, but they're not the fun little skits. They're the ones that start with trigger warnings and things like that. And in terms of you asked which myth I've got the most content out of or something, um, that, that's definitely IO. I think I've, I've become famous for uh, cow jokes when it comes to the... <laughs> um, and it's quite funny because so many of the myths involve him turning into things to get with women. And then that's the one myth where he like turned a woman into something else. And I'm like, okay, I see you. And I will make fun of you relentlessly. Wait, he turns her into a cow. Is this the one? Because I'm kind of I'm thinking of the one where they 
where he turns into a bull and then she rides to Crete, but that's not the one. That's Europa. That's Europa. Okay. Can you remind us of what this myth is? Yeah, so Io was a priestess of Hera, and um, I also will definitely pronounce names wrong, I'm sorry. Priestess of Hera, and Zeus wanted to sleep with her. The details are a little hazy, but basically he sleeps with her in the form of a cloud, um, so that Hera can't see what he's doing. And then he turns her into a cow to hide her from Hera. Only cows are sacred to Hera, so she demands the cow and then sets up Argos Panop... I'm I'm not even going to try. But the guy with like loads and loads of eyes to guard the cow. And then I think Zeus sends Hermes to kill him to get his girlfriend back, who is a cow. And then Hera... Hera sends a fly after her and she is being like bitten, a gadfly. Uh, she's being like bitten and is running across the ocean. Um, I think it's where like the Ionic Strait comes from or something like that. And then on the way, she sees like Prometheus down to a rock and he's like, it'll be okay. Your sons will be heroes. And I imagine she's like, that doesn't really help me right now. I'm a cow and I'm being chased by a fly. But yeah, just that whole like Zeus is a cloud and her as a cow. I'm like... I'm not sure what the timeline was on that. I'm not sure if that's how you guys were when things were happening. But I definitely get a lot of entertainment out of Zeus winking at cows uh, in my videos. Also, I really can't wink. Um, So those often take me like 10 takes to get right. (laughs) I feel like it's so unnatural. It's a bit like raising an eyebrow. I'm like, I can raise an eyebrow in a natural response to a situation. But if I try and do it on purpose, it's not happening. (laughs) Yeah. It kind of has to happen naturally. Like, usually it just does not look right. I only know one person who ever looked good winking. It was an old ex of mine. <laughs> I actually, a lot of the things I do on my TikTok when people are flirting with each other, because I am a naturally very awkward person, so much of it comes from lockdown when I was stuck with uh, my friend who was a gay man. And we reached a point where it was just deeply hilarious to us to pretend that we were husband and wife and see who, like, called chicken first with all the incessant flirting. <laughs> and sometimes I do things like he always used to like bite his lip at me and I really like oh yeah come get it wait and I find myself doing that on the TikTok and I'm like why have I stolen this expression from my gay husband <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try it next time I see a hottie I don't know <laughs> I bet it'll work <laughs> I, I don't imagine it'll work it certainly it, it felt quite cringy to me um, and that is what I go for in my videos cringe sheep <laughs> What has been your favorite myth to retell? Okay, so this one needs a disclaimer in the sense of the original source came from a Christian that was trying to like discredit the ancients, but I think it just made my respect for Dionysus increase. So take with a pinch of salt in terms of whether it's an actual myth or not, but I love it and I it's one of my favorite things to make fun of. Um, but basically Dionysus, when his wife Ariadne died, uh, he went down to the underworld intending to take back his mother and his wife souls up to Olympus with him and so he's on this journey and he needs to get across a lake to get to the entrance of the underworld and there's this farmer called Prosimnus and um, he's basically like I'll row you across if you sleep with me and Dionysus is like yes of course that is a perfectly reasonable transaction um, one please and so he rows across, he goes, he gets his wife, his mother, he brings them back up to the uh, heavens, they're made into goddesses, and presumably he's like, I will be right back to his newly restored wife, who is like, what? Um, and he goes down, and while he's been gone, the farmer has died, but like, he made this pact, so he creates a replica of the man's 
apart and then rides it on his tomb. (laughs) (laughs) I have heard this story before and it is a great one. (laughs) It's all the more reason why I love Dionysus so much. He keeps his word. Exactly. I understand that this is probably not a real myth, but my God, the respect I have for this man. It seems like it could be to me because I like I, I totally never knew until like a couple of years ago. I couldn't remember exactly who cursed Midas with the golden touch. And when I found out it was Dionysus, I was like, oh, this makes sense. Like if you ask him for something, he's going to give it to you. But there's there's always going to be something trickstery about it. And the way you present him in your TikTok and on your Instagram I, is absolutely my favorite. He is like just one of my favorite gods. He's <laughs> so much fun. Someone asked me who my like inspiration for Dionysus was. And I don't think I realized this until I used like a sound from Misfits. I'm like, I basically think I just imagine him in my head as being played by Robert Sheehan. And I'm like, any character he's ever played is how I play Dionysus. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, um, I think Kate Crane told us that story, too. And she was just like, you know, the monk who wrote the story was very into this description. And she's just like, just admit you like guys. It's okay. I mean, as we say all the time, your Christian monk is showing. Like, they just can't, Jenny. They can't. I think more than that was showing with this Christian monk is all I'm saying. (laughs) What's one myth that you think deserves a popular retelling that hasn't really been done yet? And why? I really love the romantic ancient Greek myths. So ones like, gosh, I know, Iphis Neanthe and Apollo and Hyacinthus and all of those ones. And there's one that I really like just for the sheer ballsiness, um, which is Halcyon and Thick. Again, I'm so sorry, I will be pronouncing those names wrong. Um, but they were a couple that were like ludicrously in love with each other. And they used to call each other Hera and Zeus as like little pet names as a sort of like, you are my king of the heavens, you are my like queen. Hera and Zeus didn't like that very much and decided to put a stop to it. Basically, Ceyx gets struck by a thunderbolt. Zeus is having none of this. And then Morpheus, the god of dreams, goes to Halcyon uh, in disguise as her husband and tells her what happened. And then she throws herself into the sea. So tragic. So yeah, they threw themselves into the sea. And then, I don't know, I often feel like in these myths, like the gods are just like looking for a good story when they start messing with mortal lives. So Hera and Zeus, having thrown this pithy fit over the fact that these people are calling themselves Hera and Zeus, then decide actually that was really sweet that she killed herself to be with him in death. So they turn them both into birds, housing birds, uh, which are basically kingfishers. Um, and I'm I'm fairly certain that like there's a later but I think it's Ovid. It's normally Ovid when he starts changing things, where uh, say it dies in like a storm, and then she sees him his like body washed up on the shore, and that's when she kills herself. But they're together forever as birds, and that's really sweet. I also really like the stories where they're like trying to explain like how a thing came to be, whether it's like this is why a crow is black, and this is how this bird came to be and this is how this shellfish came to be or uh various plants i don't know i think i think what i like about this story in particular is just this couple that were happily calling each other her and zeus as a romantic term like first of all what do you know about that marriage it was not like the most romantic and happy (laughs) that's what i was thinking i was like wow bold (laughs) or telling like in the more religious sources where it's like about 
actually worshipping the gods. They seem to depict them as like happily married, but in the actual like fictional stories, they are not. And obviously it's a fictional story. So I'm like, okay, interesting. On the one hand, Zeus and Hera did not have the kind of marriage that you would want to emulate. But number two, it is sort of a bold move in the ancient world. I mean, if you also know about the gods, it's sort of just asking to be smoten. Asking for it by the way they loved. Also, I think when the gods strike mortals down for hubris, I'm like, they kind of had a point though. Like, that's iconic. I think there's something very iconic about loving your partner so much you start to like, call them the name of a god good for them but the other thing is like there are so few uncomplicatedly happy relationships in the ancient greek myths that when at least that's my impression that when you come across one it's like oh this is really nice isn't this refreshing these two people just loved each other and this was consensual (laughs) yeah i think that's also part of it just like all the little happy couples that loved each other so much that that's actually what brought upon the downfall it's also kind of a problematic like warning against actually loving each other it's like oh these don't end well though do they if it's an ianthe do okay right (laughs) atalanta does okay well she becomes a pda lion these two do okay as birds right (laughs) yeah they do Dionysus and Ariadne. Yeah, I'm kind of, I mean, Dionysus and Ariadne, as long as you don't count your husband running away as soon as he brings you back to life to go sleep with this guy on his tomb. He comes back like a bad penny. She's in that for all the openness. I think Ariadne would understand. I've seen the art of her. I think they're ethically non-monogamous. <laughs> or Polly, they're fine. They're poly, right? Like, I feel like they'd be the kind of couple where they're both poly and like one will go out and have outside adventures and then come back and the other one would be like, so did you have fun? Tell me everything about it. (laughs) I'm Helena Bonham Carter. And for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well... I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. So you portray each of the gods and goddesses so distinctly. Uh, Which one have you found it the easiest to represent? Or which ones have you found it easier to represent? I think Zeus was one of the first that came very quickly. As you may be able to tell from my excellent costume work, a lot of this was just drawn from stuff that I already had. Um, and I think like the first video I filmed was one of Zeus. Um, I just, yeah, it's really fun to like play the bravado and the sluttiness in one. Um, and then I think a lot of the others, like some of them, who they were, they were from the start and like they stayed like that very quickly. Like 
Hera and Dionysus like they were just instantly like that and then some of them like Apollo I did not go into it being like I'm gonna play Apollo as a sad bisexual and <laughs> kind of reclaim that um and now I'm like he is so precious and must be protected I mean like he is my favorite god but he's also like such a dick in so many myths and then the way I play him is like but oh, he's so sad I mean <laughs> I think like one of my favorite recurring jokes that I have on the channel is that Hestia is just trying to get every single god to go to therapy she's like I'm begging you please go to therapy have I told you about better help <laughs> genuinely and I think I think yeah actually I did a video like really early on in the start that was like one of the songs from um Heather's where she's like, I wish your mom had been a little strut and all of that. And it was like Hestia to all of the gods. And I think that's when Apollo's character got cemented as like, I, I do wish that like the grown-ups understood. Oh. <laughs> I, I kind of like, I think there's a clear division in my head of like, Apollo in some myths and Apollo in other myths. I know you're making me care for Apollo, which is, is quite a feat. Yeah, and I think loving Greek mythology and loving ancient history involves loving something problematic. Like, I sometimes say that my problematic fave is, like, the entirety of ancient history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could say that about Greek mythology, too, right? <laughs> yeah. So we alluded to this already. Our book is about women in world mythology, and it is broken down into three sections, goddesses, heroines, and monsters. So our first question is, who is your favorite goddess? I'm going to be basic and I'm going to say Persephone, but I've done a lot of research on Persephone for obvious reasons. And I love her. Like, she's fascinating. Like, she is a really old goddess. She exists way before Hades comes into the picture in relation to the underworld. Um, She has all these affiliations with the, I cannot pronounce this word, Eleusinian mysteries which I love because we know so little about it. As I said before on my channel, like I do a lot of the research for all the like ancient history, the context. I've read a lot of books. I've read a lot of the like ancient sources. And then my brain is like, okay, but what if? And what if? And what if? And I feel like the Elizabethan Mysteries is just such fertile ground for that. And then I love that she has this dichotomy of being goddess of flowers. And she's like, all about spring and just like wandering around the earth and then going back to her husband and then is also the dread Persephone that heroes are terrified of that Odysseus fears might send a Medusa head after him like she has this real like rage to her and I love that uh, I think there's something very pastel goth about her and I think often when you read the text what you see is through history, various different writers trying to draw together lots of different stories into one cohesive narrative. And I think Persephone is one way you kind of see it fall apart a little bit because trying to merge Despoina, Persephone and Kore kind of creates this world where she's kind of a little bit different in each different myth that you read of her. But overall, you just get this uh, fear and I enjoy that about her. We were talking to Liv about Persephone the other day because somebody asked us the same question and I did say Persephone as well. And I said, what I always think people forget about spring is some of the worst storms will happen in the spring because, you know, these really violent. I mean, I, I live in the UK, sometimes you'll get these really bad storms in like March or April because it's blowing out the winter. All of the spring is about to come, but spring isn't always just beautiful and pretty. It's really violent. It's nature erupting and changing. And 
that is always one of those interesting things about Persephone that people just see the flowers and like the, the floral maiden and not sort of the inherent violence and sort of rebirth and destruction that happens when you get to spring. In that conversation, I remember saying as well, like um, springtime is when, you know, the snows melt and you find all the dead bodies of the things, the animals and people maybe that die during the winter. So there's new growth, but it's growing on dead animals from the past season and growing on death and things like that. So I kind of always imagined the springtime of Persephone as like a carpet of beautiful flowers over a deer corpse or something. Like there's something in that undergrowth that you don't want to see. That's Persephone. As you said, the snow is melt, the rivers flood, you know, like there's so much going on that, you know, we always think, oh yeah, no, the tulips are here or the daffodils. It's like, mm, there's a little more than that in the spring. <laughs> death and life have always been tied together and death and birth have always been tied together. And like that, that strikes me as the secret of Persephone in a way. That's how her character makes sense. And the other thing is that, as you said, it's probably the case that she's this really ancient goddess that grew out of an amalgamation of different goddesses. I mean, her name literally means like bringer of death or like chaos bringer. Like love that for her. So which goddess do you think is the most misunderstood? Honestly, I'm going to say on that note and as someone that just just written this fantasy reimagining Demeter. I think a lot of people love the like Hades and Persephone myth and the sort of the, the frankly like not the original story, but like the version that a lot of us grew up with, which was that she was kidnapped but she loved it. <laughs> she was really down for this. And then I think Demeter keeping Persephone on an island then gets reinterpreted as her being like an overbearing mother. And that's obviously not the case in the original myth. It's like and I think, you know, you see that in my book, quite a lot of it is like exploring how can you be a good mother in this world? Like this is a world that is not designed for you to succeed at being a good mother because you either keep your child safe and, and you do that by constricting them because you've got a world where your family members are running around doing all of this sort of thing as very much ends up happening. And I think to cast Demeter as like, I think sometimes People see her as cruel, as, as almost selfish, like she wants to keep her daughter with her, even though that's not what she wants. And I think that's not the case, especially in the ancient text. And don't get me wrong, I think there is a reason that that version of her resonates. And I think the same way that the ancient version was so crucial to ancient society in a world where your daughter would be married off without your permission, and the best you could hope for was being able to see her. To then have this story of a woman that was able to wield power and get her daughter back was really important. And I think part of the reason overbearing Demeter resonates with today's teens is for that same reason. It, it mirrors their lives in a way that the ancient maybe did back then. I'm very pro. You can have a fictional take on a myth. You can spin it in a thousand different directions. You can examine it in a thousand different ways. That doesn't erase the original. And I think if your understanding of Demeter comes solely from that newer version, then maybe go have a look at the original because you see a woman who would do anything for her daughter. And I think that's really lovely. I'm so glad you said that because I, I agree. I think a lot of times Demeter is just so misunderstood and you always see her only as this overbearing mother who's like smothering her daughter and keeping her from becoming the person she's meant to become. And I think that a lot of the nuance of her as a character, as a as a goddess, is is largely missing because I feel like she only has a handful of stories 
and most of them are connected to her daughter, and it kind of doesn't let her exist or breathe outside of being a mother character. Yeah, I could see that too. It's such a common trope, you know, that ties into more modern tropes about overbearing women and overbearing mothers that it's like, it's easy to go down that route as a storyteller, you know, so you almost have to fight against it when you're working with that myth. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to be clear in Girl Goddess Queen, she is a very complicated character. And I think a lot of it is from that sort of what does it mean to be a good mother in this world? And you're obviously seeing it from Persephone's perspective. And I think there's an awareness in that text that you're seeing it from Persephone's perspective. And she is also confused. But I think above all, there's a person with very good intentions. Um, I'm not writing for ancient readers. I'm writing for today's teenagers. Um, So I did want that sort of ah, complicated mother dynamic. Um, But without going down that route of she is the villain that Persephone is running away from. So there are very few heroines in Greek mythology, but which one is your favourite and why? We have such a complicated relationship with this question because my initial response is Psyche, because she's like the only one that gets a little epic, but then she also doesn't do anything herself. She just gets someone to do it all for her. But I also kind of respect that. Like, oh no, I'm so helpless. If only there was an ant that could come sort this grain for me. I'm sorry, does that not sound exactly like Jason? It's like, oh goodness, I can't do this whole myth on my own. Let me get every single hero of the ancient world to help me. And then my girlfriend, who was made to fall in love with me. Now I wish I'd said Medea, because she's such a good character. I I am a Clytemnestra apologist. I am a Medea apologist. Um, Well, yeah, I guess technically it is bad to kill your children, but... Is it an iconic queen move? Yes. Is it something I love in fiction? Yes. (laughs) We're all on Team Medea here. I think that's a very easy way to go with the Medea apology. We are like, actually, that was just this one playwright who did. And then I'm like, okay, yes, that's true. But also, I'm still defending her even in that one play because I love her and I'm she's excellent. But yeah, Psyche, I think there's something really nice. And again, I think it comes back to the way I'm drawn to love stories about someone going on a quest for love. And she's pregnant as well the entire time. And she's just fighting to be with her husband. And when he leaves, she's like, I'm going to go get him. uh, And I'm going to do all these challenges set by my mother-in-law to be with him. Um, I think that's really fun and good for her. Heck yeah. And following on from that one, um, which is your favorite female or female presenting monster in Greek mythology? Can I say Scylla and Charybdis because I think they should be lesbians and they should team up and like chuck men to each other. Um, I think that would be really fun. I feel like that should be canon. (laughs) (laughs) I did a like very brief mythology how I wish it ended series. And I think this was like the second episode where I was like, they should fall in love. Um, they're like right across the strait from each other and boats have to veer towards one to avoid the other. So what if they teamed up and just were like, listen, we'll split this. Um, and they're both women that were transformed into monsters as well. And there's also like a lot, I think especially, um, I think there's something specifically about like both of them as well that the real, um, as a literature girly who loves reading into things, I think there's a lot of male fear of women in those two as well. Like, oh, I'm sorry, a, a whirlpool that swallows men whole, that's not Yonic at all. And then this woman with dog's heads beneath the waist. It's like such a clear fear of voracious women and hungry women, which you see a lot in Greek mythology. 
um, especially. I think that's the entirety of the Odyssey is basically about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely an argument to be made. And yeah, I love this like boat full of men trying to avoid these like hungry women whose literal bodies have been transformed against their will into, I don't know, there's very clear sexual illusions with both of them. So I like the idea of them being like fuck men and being with each other. I think that sounds really romantic and like very couples goals, you know, like the sexiest romances are when two people are working together for a common cause and then they fall in love. I love that. I also think it just has like such potential. Again, I'm a romance writer, so I'm going to romanticize this, but just like imagine like eons just spent across the street from a girl. You're like, maybe I should talk to her. No, she'll think I'm bothering her. And then eventually they get to talking and then they're like, what if we murdered men together? And then it's like Jennifer's body, but ancient Greece. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm 100% into it. Like uncomplicated, sexy romances in Greek mythology that you don't see coming. (laughs) I kind of want to like pitch it as like a little short story that gets attached on the end of like one of my books. I could just do like a collection of short stories of like Greek myths, how they should have ended, which is kind of my writing anyway. (laughs) So let's talk about the Persephone and Hades in the room. Persephone, as I've said, is one of my favorite goddesses. Uh, Her story has had a lot of retellings lately. What do you think draws people to her myth? And why is it so enduring? I think, as I said earlier, like there is a real disconnect between the ancient story and then the story that a lot of us grew up with. And I think you can kind of go one of two ways with that. One is we need to be extremely true to the original and one is which I personally find more interesting because of that whole how stories shift and change and how they continue to resonate with people and people have latched onto this modern version and I think that's really interesting about why that version of her wanting to go resonates so deeply with us and I think it's a combination of embracing a darker side of yourself and that being a good thing and also finding power through love I think both of those are really poignant thing that I think a lot of people really like also the aesthetics like flowers and death like that's a real draw it's an opposites attract story in a weird way right but then there's this underlying like connection between them so I kind of like grew up like loving that version of the story but then I'm also in this position where I love like the ancient versions of the stories like so much and as I say I don't think the modern versions erase the existence of the age ancient versions but I think there are aspects of the ancient sources that you see in these modern versions that are really nice like we've already discussed about how um terrifying and chaotic and like ruthless Persephone can be in the ancient stories and I think that's a really fun way for her to appear in the modern version I mean that was definitely what I wanted to bring to it I was like okay what if what if it was like the the kidnap myth, but you get the dread Persephone in it? What if this is about how she goes from like little girl to that like woman that's embracing her power in like quite a fun way? And then also, I mean, I, I might be jumping on here to talk about, but like I took a lot of inspiration from the artwork of them where they are, there's not loads of artwork of the two of them because people were really reluctant to um basically do anything with gods of the dead it was a real way to like summon them but when you do see them they're like lounging around eating grapes or there's this really lovely uh, imagery one of Hades symbols is the cornucopia and I love that idea I think we pay so much attention to 
what Persephone gets from Hades, which is like the crown of the underworld and stuff, even though she was already affiliated with the underworld. So I also have that sort of in the book, like her being drawn to the underworld to kind of link back to that affiliation with her before Hades comes into the picture. But we think about like the crown she gets, the power she gets, and we don't really think about what he gets from his affiliation with her. And what he ends up getting is this association with agriculture. And you see like art of him like with the cornucopia fertilizing the earth and I think that was really lovely and I think that a lot of my book like there's a lot of Persephone drawn from ancient sources but not quite so much Hades. Hades is very much like who I wish I could see more of in YA literature the kind of romantic hero that I wish was being depicted as a romantic hero when I was a teenager a lot of that and in terms of the ancient sources like that is a bit that I think I really latched on to as I say, as a source of chaotic imaginings, because he is not running around with a cornucopia fertilizing the earth in the book, but he definitely has this like softer side. And it's a side that Stephanie really draws out and encourages within him. And I think that's really nice. I think you see a union of two quite powerful people that do have like a fairly happy marriage, especially in the art in ancient mythology, especially in comparison to other powerful people. Heresy. <laughs> I think there are a lot of reasons that people are still drawn to this story. And I think most of it is, it's almost like a coming of age story where love plays a really important factor in that. I'm really curious as to what kind of hero you envision Hades as and what kind of hero you wanted to see depicted in books you were reading as a kid. Yeah, well, I mean, (laughs) I wanted the soft boy to be the hero. I love a good enemies to friends to lovers. But I think sometimes it can just be outright bullying or like an abusive relationship. And I wanted a version. I wanted a version where they could still have that banter, but there was no malice beneath it, especially when they're like becoming lovers. So, I mean, I don't want to get like too spoilery with it. Hades is keeping a lot of himself back. And that was also drawn from like the fact that in the ancient sources, he is almost entirely separate from the Olympians, doesn't really associate with them. And I was kind of like, okay, we know what the Olympians are like running around having sex with anything that moves. So if you have an aversion to that, then what does that look like? I've made a lot of jokes about how much he loves his dog. His dog is in it like twice, but it's an important point that I would like to make that he loves his dog a lot. And I think he's just quite chill, honestly. I think I wanted to see more boys that had healthy relationships with their emotions um more boys that felt free to be who they want to be I think I think a lot of the books I was reading when I was growing up marketed themselves as feminist and then they were but it was always about like hey girls this is what feminism does for you and I always felt there was that point of hey boys this is how men suffer under patriarchy too and I think that's what you really see in Hades in the book is this sort of oh my god the system is awful for all of us like Persephone runs to the underworld to escape a marriage her father is forcing her into because of the patriarchy of Olympus and you see Hades be like yeah I hate this as well this is how it's been really bad for me I agree with you there has been I've read a lot of way I've worked in a lot of different on a lot of different books and there, there was a period of time where I do think you were missing those kind of male heroes who were able to be in touch with their emotions and kind of got to show you how bad the patriarchy was. Like, I feel like for a long time, there was a lot of romance archetypes. And I think it's important to have a more nuanced look. So super excited to see how that works out. 
That sounds so fun. And I love that she's like the one kind of forcing herself into his life. You know, like that's a really fun inversion of the typical way that we see this depicted. Like the the she's kidnapped, but she loves it kind of thing. Yeah, well, she's not kidnapped. She's like, no, 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 I am here now because this is where I need to be. And you have to let me stay here because I'm your guest. Oh, it's a really clever way of playing on uh, the law of Zinnia and that myth. So, um, can you tell us more about your novel, Girl Goddess Queen? Yeah, um, so it is a YA romantic fantasy um, inspired by the myth but very much like a sort of fantasy world with ancient Greece. And I go off in a lot of different directions with it, but with a nod towards the myth and how much I adore them. And it starts with Kore, who is about to be married off to a god of her father's choosing. And she realizes that with her father being lord of the skies and her mother having domain over anything that grows there's only one place she can run to and that's the underworld which she does and Hades it does not want her there but she forces him to look after her by claiming Xenia which is obviously the bond of hospitality so they enter this kind of weird relationship where he is like doing anything he can to get her to leave and then she is like why does he want me gone so much if he doesn't want to help a woman in my position then he must be a horrible person and kind of goes out of her way to be even more annoying so he goes out of his way to be even more annoying to get her to go um but then it ends up in her making a lot of changes around the underworld as efforts to irritate Hades but then also because she wants to do some good with her remaining time because she knows that her father's going to find her eventually and when Hades realizes that she's working on a plan to basically bring about the downfall of the Olympians he wants in and they enter a sort of reluctant alliance that spirals uh, into her father finding out where she is and her realizing the only way to stay there is to marry Hades so they enter a little fake dating fake marriage scenario with a wedding in which all of the Greek gods are in attendance and they are very much in denial about their feelings for each other and there's an only one bed scene. <laughs> so I noticed in one of your early chapters, I found it on the publisher website, I just took a little peek, which deals with the relationship between Demeter and Persephone. The conversation about marriage and safety for women, basically women need to stay safe by marrying a man. There's no life for women outside marriage in this dangerous world. And one line that really kind of stuck with me was, I'm sure I don't need to tell you the fates of other girls who thought they could survive alone. And this really stuck with me as a girl who survives alone myself and who's very aware that this would not be a possibility for me in the times that I study and even more recent times, maybe. How much research did you do into marriage and women's ability to survive in the ancient world? And did that inspire your vision of marriage and life for women and girl goddess queen? So I did a uh a lot of research on this I also uh, did a couple modules on it in university and was particularly drawn to the role of women in ancient Greek society it's a tricky one because most of our sort like uh, men weren't really that interested in writing about women um, and that is true for most of history and it makes studying a lot of domestic history quite difficult 
And a lot of the written sources come from Athens, which was particularly sexist and was viewed as somewhat sexist by the rest of Greece. So while it was slightly better, I mean, touch wood, while it was slightly better for like women in, say, Sparta, I think I was drawing a lot on ancient Athens, where the ideal was that women didn't leave the home, though they did, because that was deeply impractical, unless you were like obscenely rich. But if your husband died, you would be married off to someone else, probably in your own family, just to keep property and things in the family. Uh, You couldn't really own anything, including your own children. As I said earlier, like, I think we often think of it as Hades kidnapping Persephone, but most of the sources we have say Zeus gave her to him. So he like appears and he carries her away and everything and it's horrible. But they all say who Zeus gave to. And it's all like, it's very much playing with that sort of arranged marriage that would have happened in society. And the real tragedy isn't so much that Persephone was married off to Hades. This is how it's like depicted. The real tragedy is that no one told Persephone, no one told Demeter. Which, like, while it could happen, it probably, like, wasn't the norm. It was, like, the norm that you would, you know, be informed. Um, Although there were, like, various kidnapping traditions across the ancient land. The myth, in particular, is obviously resonant to a lot of what I read. But women, not a great time, especially in ancient Athens. They could kind of leave to go to, like, religious festivals, chores. And, of course, this is just, like, free women. I won't even get started on, like, what was happening to slave women. But... Athens is often seen as like the birthplace of democracy, which I find quite funny because it was only landowning males, I think, over the age of 35 and women were seen as property. And you see that in the myths, I think. Absolutely. I think you can. I mean, we did a whole season on sex work and it kind of struck me that in ancient Greece, possibly in ancient Rome, too, like one of the ways you could survive as a single woman was to be an independent sex worker which, of course, came with its own dangers, its own complications. You're still dependent on men. There weren't really a lot of options for women outside of sex work. There were a few other jobs that you could potentially do. But we've, we talked about this a lot in our arc, not last season, but the season before. Like We know that women must have done more than what the ancient sources tell us they did, because when you have men who are off fighting in a war or anything else, like someone has to pick up the slack. Someone's got to be out there hunting or fishing or farming or managing textiles and pottery. So I do think it's really interesting what we see the sources telling us about who's doing what and what the reality would have been. I'm sure that there is definitely stuff that's been written about women running businesses and being proprietors of various businesses and things like that in ancient Greece. I mean, legally, I guess they couldn't own things, property. There must have been loopholes, though. And I, I have not done a deep dive into this. Can I use that as an opportunity to shout out some of my other favorite fiction books? Because one that I think does explores that so well is uh, Ithaca by Claire North, which is a Penelope retelling. And it's literally just like, oh, I loved it so much. It's all from the voice of Hera, which I thought was a rogue narrator choice. But she's kind of like, I have jurisdiction here because she's a queen. Um, And it's so scathing and so funny, but it's just Penelope waiting for Odysseus to come home with all the maids on the island. And obviously she's weaving and unweaving the shroud, but she's also dealing with all of the court politics and all of the intricacies. And then whenever the men get suspicious, they're just like, would you really believe that just us little women were doing all of this? And like Ithaca's being raided by pirates and the women are like banding together to fight them off. Like there is so much like women getting stuff done and then pretending they didn't because then they can't be told off for getting stuff done, which is just so fun. 
Wow, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Clytemnestra by Costanza Cassati comes out later this year, and it's a Clytemnestra retelling. And I was lucky enough to be sent a advanced reader copy for it. And similarly, it's obviously Clytemnestra, so doing a lot of stuff while her husband is away. And it's so good. She's like cast as like a Cersei Lannister type figure. And it's like so well written. It's so biting and scathing. I think both those books, part of what I loved about them was just the scathing narrator choices. And they're great. I really recommend them. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for those recommendations. Yeah, well, there's a lot go on my list now. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I very much enjoyed it. Uh, where can people find you online? I'm everywhere online. Um, so I'm on TikTok and Instagram as Chaos on Olympus. Um, you can also find all my personal channels, I think apart from my TikTok, uh, under B underscore A underscore B. So yeah, go find me on Chaos on Olympus and you can find all the links to everything else on those channels in like bios and things. And when does Girl Goddess Queen come out? Uh, Girl Goddess Queen publishes on the 20th of July with Penguin. It's coming out in most of the world, but if you're in America or Canada, or I, yeah, I think it's just those places, then you will need to get it through Book Depository. Sounds great. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for listening. And we will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.